Welcome back to another episode of the RAG podcast with me, Sean Anderson, the CEO and founder of Hoxo Media. This is the show where I bring to you stories from recruitment owners, uh, investors, suppliers, innovators around the world who prepare to give up some of their time to, to move our industry into a more of a modern mindset, to talk about the latest trends, the things that are happening, the ways in which brands are growing recruitment companies in 2021 like never before. Um, so far this season, we've had some really interesting guests, and today is no different. Um, I'm really excited to be joined by Andy Shapwell, the Managing Director of Charlton Morris. This is a recruitment agency headquartered in Leeds in the north of England of about 60 recruiters across medical, life sciences, and industrial recruitment. Um, I came across Andy having looked at the company brand. We didn't know each other. We've been connected for a while, and we spoke recently because I was just so excited by what i saw online like the the content these guys produce felt more like a media publishing business than a recruitment company and i was like wow is this really a recruitment company so uh we had a quick chat and i thought it'd be an amazing uh chat to find out how and why he's done what he's done so andy welcome to the show hi how are you doing thanks for having me no problem mate no problem um well i've given you a, a brief introduction there but do us a favor, give us a, a, a better overview of you, yourself, and the business, Charlton Morris. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, you're right. We, we've been connected on LinkedIn for quite some time, but we've never actually been in touch or spoken, even though we kind of very well aligned in kind of our yeah. attitude towards recruitment. Um, it or hasn't always been like this for us. It's been a work in progress over the last, um, over the last probably the last five years or so. But I suppose to take you back to the beginning, um, we set up in September 2013, so about seven and a half years ago. Um, we Who's broke we? away. Who's we? We, we um, there was about eight of us that broke away from a, our old company, uh, oh. our previous company. Um, and we were at the time, I was um, heading up the medical device division of, a, of another business. And we, um, with the blessing of the previous company, kind of set up and um, and and did that and took the team with us with and they kind of invested in us initially um really? yeah it was a really good setup and kind of quite risk-free from from my point of view um, how many people who is it just you there was, you, there was about you, eight one business, one business was, partner or, or there was business? there was we started out with uh, me plus two others and then we had a group of um, consultants that were all relatively new kind of graduate consultants at the time so there's probably about eight or nine of us I always remember, uh, forget exactly how many, but eight or nine of us. Um, but what we did have is obviously we had that amazing kind of team spirit, that kind of us against the world. We're a startup and we're going to you know, work harder than anyone else and we're going to be better than anyone else and we're going to just you know, smash it. And we did. And, and, and our first year was a success and it allowed us to kind of keep investing in the business. And you know, we, of that original eight or nine now, I think there's still five of us, four or five of us that are still here wow. with the business and, and are still... You know, actually now um, directors in in the business. So, um, Just, where did you come up with the name Charlton Morris? What's that? What's um, Char Charlton is you know everyone does this, don't they, with the two surnames or the two kind of kind of like I read I read someone had put on like how to name a recruitment company's like two middle class surnames um, put together, <laughs> but they're not definitely not necessarily middle class. But um, Morris uh, Charlton is my wife's maiden name, and Morris is my mum's maiden name. Um, so it's literally as simple as that. Um, I, with time, it's I call it CM now, and we kind of all call it CM. And but obviously, to the outer world, Chart Morris has got quite a lot of brand equity. Yeah, um, 
Uh, and none of the other none of the other people at the beginning were wanted their own names chipped in. Was no well, I, well, I was. I suppose I was the managing director at the time, and it was kind of, kind of my not necessarily my thing because I couldn't certainly couldn't have done it without them. But the opportunity was kind of offered to me to do this, and I, you know, those guys were reporting to me at the time, and it was just kind of, yeah. I don't know, just kind of what. Well, I suppose when it was offered to me, it was almost like you know, pick you know, pick a name kind of thing. So, yeah, um, but it, it works quite well, and, and like I say, it's kind of loses. It's you know, there's probably a lot of people who work for me today or us today that don't know that you know that they don't really know where it's come from. But um, yeah, that's it. So there was there was eight or nine of us. Um, we we actually it was probably a very good time in 2013 because LinkedIn was kind of becoming the yeah. tool of choice. Yeah, um, and probably for the first 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 couple of years we almost well at the sacrifice of a database as a crr crm we basically just invested in linkedin so we made sure that everyone had their linkedin licenses everyone had job slots for themselves not shared um that we had our own kind of re recruiter page and that we were kind of starting to build a bit of a follower we were just talking before we went um live about kind of the traffic that you know investing in linkedin and getting job slots and having a lot of kind of activity around applying for jobs on LinkedIn, a lot of traffic goes to your page. And obviously then you start seeing the kind of the, the, the followers grow. Um, so we kind of, we could almost kind of see that happening and we were like investing more in that and kind of really get into grips with LinkedIn. But basically at the time we were quite, well, we were a very new, very young, enthusiastic company that only had this LinkedIn tool, which right. is kind of, start, kind of started the journey of kind of where we're still on today. Is that we all we went all in on that rather than signing up for a database, rather than kind of trying to build out anything so, more. So you had no CRM at all, just LinkedIn. No, definitely not. And then probably after three or four years, we we, we played around with a couple of less, more short term, like you know, you know, no contract type ones, just because we think, well, we need to get something. But you know, we almost saw LinkedIn as our database. So what did right you do right around right deals? Right. Did you just write them on boards rather than? Yeah. Literally, yeah, 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 definitely. Oh, Excel and Excel and write them on the board, yeah. and yeah, to to totally. And to be perfectly honest, you know, we we've gone through a couple of big transformations over the last seven years, and the most recent one has has been our full adoption of Bullhorn. So we we signed up to Bullhorn after about maybe about three or four years, but we, then we didn't really use it. We we put deals through it, but we didn't use it, um, yeah. and then kind of over the as the company progressed, we wanted to get more out of that. We knew we had to get more out of it if we wanted to grow the business and, and to learn more about the insights and, and the data that we were going to get from that. So we, we, we signed up to Cube19. Yep. Well, Cube19 is, is an amazing tool, but only if the import into Bullhorn is also like good quality. Yeah, um, so we, right so, yeah, so we, we, we literally, we know we're going quite, quite far on now, but we literally at that point of, signing up to cube 19 and committing to it we basically went from like about maybe five percent adoption to bullhorn to like 95 percent because we just didn't give people an option we took the boards down off the walls we we kind of had a month of like integration but then after that it was the boards are off the walls and if it isn't in bullhorn it's a bit of a cliche but if it isn't in the database it doesn't exist yeah it didn't happen if you want to if you want to go and board a fee you know it's got to be in bullhorn it's got to be accurate if you want your commission paying on the back of that then you just got to use it and we just went totally cold turkey on it and just did it Good. But obviously, what that kind of got us was great insight from Cube19. Almost like as soon as Cube19 went live, we were getting like amazing data back from it. And to date, we still do that. Um, Andy, let me just stop a sec. So you, you let's go back a bit. So you, you yeah. had six, you had, say eight people. Quite an interesting start because you didn't have 
the classic have to build to hire people. You had like some investment. We had a good. You yeah. all knew each other. Like, what was the, what was the growth in year one? Like, what were the figures you hit? How how would you describe the first year? Is it stand, starting in the way that you did? Yeah, we like wrote a million in our first year between yeah. like eight, probably between as we hired a couple of people, maybe between ten of us, hmm. which isn't like great. It isn't amazing numbers, but kind of from a bit of a standing start and obviously just kind of getting anything on the board and it almost like just becoming as successful in year one was like a big deal for us. Yeah. Um, and to date we're, we're turning over about, uh, about, you know, hopefully across, across the a couple of different projects we've got going on about 10 million. Yeah. Um, so that kind of gives you some kind of scale on, well, some sort of idea about the growth that we've had over like seven years. And that's um, all firm, isn't it? That's not, it's no... all, it's all perm. It's, yeah. Until very recently, it was all organic growth. It was all graduate-based hiring. Um, we did, you know, we got to a, we we exclusively hired grads for about five years. But as much as we knew we could get a grad in, get them trained, and get them billing, and get them credible in their market and, and writing fees, what we ended up having is a, quite a bottom-heavy environment where a lack of, a lack of. We had managers, but they were young managers who also wanted a bill, and you know. We weren't immature in the crudest sense, but you know, if you looked at our business from the outside, you'd see us as quite an immature business. You know, I'm only been doing the job for say 15 years, um, and I'm the most experienced person in our business. You know, and and everyone else has come through from grad and learned from me, so or learned from my managers who learned from their managers. Yeah, yeah. So we just were a bit bottom heavy. Um, so we did go on a bit of a drive about two or three years ago to start kind of bringing some experienced people in. From recruitment and outside of recruitment, but just to give us a bit of better balance. Yeah. Um, All right. So, so you you've done an amazing growth plan in year one. Um, you've you've written a, you've written a million quid. What was the headcount trajectory like over the first five years to go from starting with eight? Where did how did each year go in terms of headcount? Because that's something that um, people are interested in. Yeah, I mean, we like we since probably since year one, we've always been hiring like probably up until April last year, like our our kind of like mindset is we're always hiring. Like we're always taking on grads and and with 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 grads it's it's kind of cyclical with uh, you know the summer graduates coming out of uni starting from like earlier in the year, then kind of like having a bigger intake in the year, but then kind of picking up a few throughout the rest of the year. So I don't, I, I mean off the top of my head, maybe we finished the first year on maybe 13 or 14 and then the following year on 20. I think after five years we were up to about 50. Um, and like I said, all grads, all no, coming in with no experience and just trained on the job with by our managers or by me and our managers. Mm -hmm. um, and that was after about five years. And people always used to say, and it's funny, like people always used to say, like, God, how have you gone to like 50? I was like, that's really easy. Like, we've just been in good markets and we've just had some, uh, we started with a good group of people who were like still with us and, and were willing to share their time and they were all really invested in our business. So, Going from zero to fifty or nine to fifty was, I felt, really just it just happened. It was just easy because you know the culture was great, the the team was you know like I said good markets, um, and it felt really good. I always thought that, and I've spoken to a couple of other leaders in the business about this. But from going from fifty to a hundred, like the same growth, but to the next level, I always thought, and obviously I'm now experiencing, was going to always be our biggest challenge because it's. You gotta kind of you, you kind of got to be a, 
a, a company at that point with yeah. And you've, also got, yeah. you've also got you're not got to grow by fifty. You've got to keep the fifty as well to grow. Yeah, the 50. absolutely. Might, depending on your attrition rate, um, you know that could be hiring however many people. Um, yeah, I remember when I was at Venquist, we went from I think it was seven or eight to about fifty-two when I was there across multiple teams, and we found that yeah, just breaking out of the forty mark was a. We stayed around 35 to 40 for ages. We just really struggled with that. I don't I don't know where they are now. I think they're about 70 now, but we really struggled. And it was just one in, one out almost, the mindset. That, yeah. yeah. It's difficult. And I, and, I, and I can see that. And we have experienced that to, to a degree. We've, we've always kind of finished the year with a kind of a, 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 a net kind of increase in headcount. And we, and we have grown year on year. Even in the last year, uh, we've grown in terms of headcount. Um but obviously, it's not to the you know hiring ten or fifteen people um, and, and just getting them to stay. You know, obviously the 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 culture early doors. You know, we've we've done we've worked extremely hard to keep our culture or to even kind of create a better culture as we've grown to work on retention. You know, I think a lot of the the big keys to our success over the years, I'd say retention is one of the uh, one of our biggest biggest wins. And you know, obviously we have attrition like anyone else in the in the industry. But you know, we've got I was just making some notes before. We've got forty percent of our businesses got more than two years' experience. We've got twenty-five percent of our business have got more than five years, not experience, like ten years in our yeah. in our company. So that's kind of enabled us to create a strong management team, which has enabled us to invest in them and to kind of get them up to scratch to kind of then keep hiring. So it's and you know the, the things that we've always been conscious of is that you know I when we were twenty or thirty. I felt like I knew everybody in the company and that we'd, you know, we'd all have barbecues together and we'd all hang out together and we'd all drink together. And obviously now it's just impossible. Like I'm 15 years older, like I've got, I've got a family. Um, so I become more disconnected, which means you have to put the emphasis on the, the teams below to kind of keep that connection and keep that culture, which has, it's, it's been successful, but obviously it's just not as easy as it was. It's a really good point you've made there because I think the graduate hiring model the gap between the, the graduates and the CEO or MD will just gets bigger every year, doesn't it? Like, and yeah, totally. So you really need you need to promote people at the right age so that they are then filling that gap, so that there's so there's someone above who everyone can look up to all the way to the top, rather yeah, totally. than being a big gap in the middle. Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm I'm still relatively young. I'm I turned 37 in in four weeks, um, but you know I'm not 20, and I've got yeah. three kids. Um, and you know, going out for a drink on a Friday just nowadays just isn't a po- isn't an option really, um, unless it's you know unless we're celebrating anything. So, I I can't work personally to keep that graduate engaged with us and really bought into who we are and what we're doing. So, it's really good or great that we've got a management team below us who are kind of twenty nine thirty who, um, who are still have a bit more freedom and flexibility to do that. And then now a team of managers below them who are you know, that we're all committed to the cause yeah. and we're all kind of bought into the values of the business and stuff. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, you're definitely not. You're looking, uh, you, you kept the hair dark, sh- unlike my grey hair. That's yeah. I've had a shave for the first time today oh, yeah. in about in about a slick. year. Yeah. <laughs> slick. Um, so I'm just trying to, I want to get onto the mod- the, the more modern stuff soon, but the, the bit that I'm interested in for you is, is like, there's a lot of people listening to this episode that do not have 50, 60, 70 man businesses, right? They, they, they really struggle to get beyond 10. Like the industry is capped at 10 um, in terms of 81% of sub 10 staff. So why do you think that is? Why do you think people struggle to get beyond 
10, 20 up to the 40, 50? What's the reason, it's, would you imagine? It's a, that's a really good question. And honestly, I find that so hard because, like I said, uh, you know, when people would say, oh, God, you got to 50 in like five years. And I was like, it's been easy, like genuinely like been easy. It's not, we've not even really broken a sweat and not to sound arrogant in any ways. That's really not the case. I just never saw that as an like a massive achievement. Um, just because it was, like I said, good markets, graduate base, organic. And, you know, we've always still today, you know, we've got 70, 71 in the business today, but I could still see easily the next 15 or 20 hires in the business because industrial, you know, it's, you know, multi-billion dollar market we're right in you know three million in it like obviously yeah. there's there's so much scope to really like get even involved in that area never mind like medical and life sciences and everything that's going on there so you know there's still there's still opportunities to grow but you know so the markets are there so uh, for, for, for us we've got good markets and we can we can what see about your behavior what about i reckon in the first few years i'm just going to make i don't know the answer to this because we've never asked but I, I imagine you stepped off the tools quite quick yeah after a year um a year or so i probably i didn't write much in my first year to be honest because i was so there yeah we, we've got a great we've got a great culture of like giving business away you know like managers are really invested in their consultants and at their own personal financial sacrifice that they would do that to to to, to give someone a one of their employees a payday or to to get you know what you get from doing that and the buy-in that you get and the loyalty and trust and everything that you kind of do from actually saying like you know what i'm not going to take the commission for that you can have it um that so so you know that i was doing that in the first year um and then in the second year i don't think i probably even wrote a fee um, so, the, so that's the bit that's the ingredient i think that you don't even realize right when you stepped up as the managing director in year one yeah. and then built people whereas most of the companies i know that struggle to get beyond 10 the owners still billing aggressively yeah. and, can't and they've take got, the, and yeah, they've got a, fear, a fear of taking away uh, take a fear of down in the tools because if they didn't do it then how would they hit exactly yeah. yeah whereas you came into the business with a team that you'd probably already stepped a bit away from anyway billing so it was like sideward step carry on whereas a lot of people yeah. go on their own they build fees they then have to hire someone they've got to keep billing to keep they've got to train at the same time and it's just a complete merry-go-round yeah totally and it's a really good point and um, i didn't i've never even really thought about that at all but you know i think <laughs> the retention of people you know with that 10 people is that the same 10 people or is that like you say is it one in one out or two in two out or you know every time you you feel like you're getting somewhere you lose two or three people you know our, our retention for the first two or three years was was extreme like seriously like people just didn't leave because because we were doing so well and everyone was making money and you know even for the first few years we never lost anyone to another recruitment company we still don't lose other um, employees to another recruitment company it would be because they've had enough, they've had enough for recruitment or they're, you know, they're relocating, but even still, like if they're relocating nowadays, we, we're versatile enough to keep them working for us. So mm. like we don't, we just don't lose people to other companies. Um, so that's a big thing, definitely. Um, so when we are hiring, it's like net, it's like net growth in headcount. So it's not like we need to hire 10 to, 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 to increase growth by two or three at the end of the year. If we hire 10, we'll probably increase growth by eight or nine. Um, and that was just our our trajectory over the first few years was that that was kind of if you if you joined we kind of made it work yeah. we got you we got you working and then you kind of stuck because of that so it, so how did this whole vision around content becoming part of because you know you this i imagine just again a hunch you weren't thinking about that when you started seven years ago i don't think anyone was in our sector back then no i remember no. a year after i came to london 
to join Venquist, you started. So I can picture the summer of 2013 very, very well. Right? It's my first. I think I was just starting to get commission. I think I went to I went to Havar in Croatia in the August with my mates, and it was the first time I'd done a year of contract recruitment. As you know, in contract, you know it starts to drip feed, and by the time the summer came, I was earning good money. Um, so I've, I've got fond memories of the time you started. But there was, no, there was no chat of personal brand, content marketing, podcasting, none of that. So when did you start? How did this all start to evolve in, in Charlton Morris to think content yeah. might be important here? So so I suppose, firstly, our big investment as a business was into LinkedIn. And it was on the pre premise that we used it and we used it well and we got the most out of it. It was, you know, it was a big investment for a startup business. We've, you know, it was... We, if we weren't billing the money at the end of the year, then we wouldn't have been able to justify keeping the tools that we had. So we had to make it work. So, and like I said earlier, you know, with the job slots and stuff, we were starting to see this kind of like traffic go into our page and our follower base increasing, like crazy increasing, like 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 people, which then kind of like worked as a motivator to keep using it and to keep driving that traffic. So, so then we're starting to, um, play around so actually chris holland who's our, our marketing director um who i know a lot of the other marketing people who were maybe listening into this will probably know of chris and some of the amazing work that he does because people quite rightly are asking him to appear on panels and to talk and to be guests on podcasts and stuff mm. um chris you know, so i don't i can't fit trying to think which way it ended up going so so it actually started by us getting a call out of the blue from LinkedIn. And this is genuinely where it all started. We get an email from LinkedIn out of the blue saying, congratulations, you made our most socially engaged list. I don't know yeah. if you remember that. Yeah, yeah, it, was yeah. something that it was something they did for two or three years and then they canned it, Pro probably for good reason because the metrics weren't, <laughs> like no one knew the metrics. So like yeah. the, a company on there with a disproportionate amount of followers or whatever who weren't really doing much content or engagement, but they were quite ranking quite high. But... You know, that didn't matter to us at the time. We we got an email to say that we were like the fifth most socially engaged small company in EMEA on LinkedIn. And we were like, wow, like what the hell? Are, you know, where has that come from? Like totally took us out of the, um, took, um, came out of the blue and took us by surprise. And we were like, oh, well, you know, obviously we, we want to be, go up that list. Classic kind of like recruiter sales mindset. It's like, well, if we were fifth this year and we've not even worked at it, we could be first next year. So how do we develop our kind of like our LinkedIn game to start kind of going through the gears and become number one next year? And and that's what we did. We sat back and thought about it. And we thought, right, well, we don't, you know, we share it. We reshare a lot of content and a lot of companies do now. And that's kind of, you see when people think, well, I'm engaged on LinkedIn, you're resharing other people's stuff or you're posting an advert from a, a publication. Uh, sorry, you're posting an article from a publication or you're just commentating on on what's going on or you're resharing. And we were like, right, so we do that anyway. Let's maybe start thinking about writing our own stuff. And obviously the first thing we came to was like, okay, so what do people want to hear from us? What's our authority? Where do we sit in the market? Right, we're a recruitment company. Let's write articles about how to optimize your LinkedIn profile, how to like dress for an interview, how to do a video interview, um, stuff like that. And we were getting like really crap like engagement on it because let's face it there's like a thousand articles out there already on exactly the same topic yeah. all going around and doing the and doing the things doing the circuit and it's you know it was really it was like quite good i mean it was good we were being quite brave by putting it out there but you know the zero engagement um so they you know that that kind of developed into kind of us thinking like what is our voice you know what do how do we get engagement from content and 
you know, our audiences, so our typical recruiter might have a couple of thousand connections, like none of them are in recruitment, really. None of them are really interested in talk, us talking about recruitment. We were, yeah. how do we add value to our network? Um, so we, this kind of all happened at the same time as Chris, who was a recruiter for us, was starting to kind of get a bit fed up of writing fees and he had a real flair for content writing and he was kind of doing a lot of our early content anyway. And he was quite keen to move into that and start doing it. So that was a bit of a risk. It was like our very first person that we'd put in a role that wasn't a 360 recruiter. Um, I mean, Chris's writing skills is, 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 is a great anyway. It's amazing. Um, and something that might take me an hour just to write the first line, he, he would write a whole article, you know, yeah, in, yeah. in, in 20 minutes. So, but it started out by thinking, right, so let's talk about what we know, right? So what our audience wants to hear, you know, who are the exciting companies? Just quite simple titles. Who are the ex five best companies in med in, in med, med tech right now? Um, or, you know, um, future, what, how do we see 2015 or 2017 in, in, in industrial and, just out of nowhere, we just started getting like the odd comment on there saying, oh, top five companies, like, where are we? Um, where's my company? Like, we should be in the top five. And we were like, oh, hang on. Like, we've got someone like in our market. Who, it's someone who like would we would maybe class as a, a, a potential hiring manager, like commenting on our thing saying like, why aren't we on that list? And then we were like, okay, well, you know, why, why do you think you should be on that list? And before you knew it, with that, it kind of developed over the course of a year into us having... 400 likes and, and and 100 comments and and discussions going on between say two hiring managers on our feed or on our comment section on linkedin and we were like this is like gold really because you know it just gives us a reason to to develop a, a conversation that we wouldn't already have um ordinarily have it gives us a point of well a point a point of discussion next time we contact them um that then potentially turned into, so, okay, so if you think you should be in there, then why don't we write an article together as to why? So then the, the strategy kind of developed into more collabor collaborating with clients on, on content. Um, and we still, and we still do that now. Um, and it's just kind of like picked up pace and picked up pace. And we did actually go up that list. So we went to like second and we were pissed off. We weren't second. So we were like, how do we make, make it to first? And we'd gone up from this small category to a medium sized company, but we were still second in the medium sized group. And that kind of spurred us on. And then the year after they just ditched the award, uh, ditched the whole thing because the metrics weren't right. And yeah, yeah, we, we were actually doing the right things, but there were all the companies in the top five who just had a load of followers and had a lot of traffic. Yeah. Um, and obviously in the whole, time we're doing this we're investing more we've got more recruiter licenses we've got more job slots we're getting more followers and like to date we've got like nearly two hundred and fifty thousand followers but you know a lot of them are vanity followers that like we were talking about earlier that they apply for a job they become a follower straight away yeah, yeah. even if they're not relevant to the company we've really looked at them and thought how can we engage that those followers how can we get the most out of those followers and that's kind of where it is and like to, so and then to date you know um, we were getting so much content um, engagement on LinkedIn. Our our content was getting better and better as a result. Um, Did you question it at the beginning? Did you question like, is this worth spending money on? Um, I, I suppose I've always been, and we as a business have always been like, let's do it. Let's just do it. Like you know, we we've been because we've been successful in our revenue. It always allowed us a bit of a bit of the opportunity to take risks. We've been really fortunate, even in year one we were never in a position where we can't really afford to do that. You know, we can't afford to buy a LinkedIn license for everyone. We, we could, and we did. We can't afford to put, hire someone just doing marketing. Well, we could, 
I mean, yeah, obviously it comes off the bottom line. It means that we don't, but we could afford it and we, and we could do it. And, you know, we believe, we believe in the principle. So yeah. we've always been very lucky. And I know a lot of companies out there probably could afford it, but still wouldn't do it. And I suppose we've always had the mindset of like, why not? We'll try it. And if it doesn't work, then we'll, you know, we'll pull it. But thankfully, like most things have worked, not everything, of course, not everything, but most things have worked, which has meant that we can just keep investing in it and keep investing in it. I'm interrupting this episode of the RAG podcast to bring you a message from our sponsor, Audro. You know by now that Audro are the number one video interview platform for recruiters around the world. Now, they keep bringing out new features from Audro Capture to Audro Producer, and it just keeps getting better and better and better. But now, recently, they've just announced a new feature to the platform, which is a complete game changer. During COVID-19, they realized that the recruitment audience the communication was changing. Globally, their clients and candidates were, were using Microsoft Teams and Zoom more than anything else. The phrase, let's jump on a Zoom call or jump on a Teams call has actually replaced the, the words video interview for a lot of their conversations over the last six months. Now, they were thinking, do we, I mean, how are we going to eradicate this? How are we going to make Audro the name that everyone talks about for, for the interview process? And they realized they didn't need to. They needed to integrate. So for the first time ever, they, they're the first video interview platform on the planet that have decided and managed to integrate with Zoom and soon to be integrated with Microsoft Teams. So with one click after recording a Zoom video, you can now drag that into Audro and create everything else that Audro has from adding the CV, the heat maps, the capture and the producer elements. You get all the benefits of Audro before and after the interview, but you get to use Zoom, which is client friendly on all levels. So this is massive. Teams is coming. It's the first time anyone's ever done it in our sector. And it is literally going to change the way you work in 2021. Get in touch with my friends over at Audro at audro.co.uk. Or if you're already a user, reach out to your account manager to make sure you've got this feature. Back to the show. I think one of the, one of the things I've been talking about recently is the timeframes around what you expect from marketing, right? As we, as we record this, you know, my two year anniversary of this podcast was a couple of weeks ago. We've interviewed over 150 people, right? And at the beginning, I couldn't see that. I could only see one episode a week, interviewing great people, offering good value. I didn't know we'd get to 20,000 monthly listeners and, you know, I'd be getting listeners all over the world and messages every day and, you know, interviewing some amazing clients made, you know, we've, we've worked with probably 80% of the guests that have been on in some capacity, like generated revenue. Yeah. It's been incredible. But, you know, I read this thing the other day. It's like, if you look at your business, like an investor looks at stocks you and you can predict further ahead you'll be a hell of a lot better business person than if you just track the daily trades all the time. Like, do you know what I mean? Like you need to know your numbers, but if you're thinking, I'm investing in this because I think in a year, in two years, in three years, it's going to pay off in five years. Um, did you have that when it came to marketing? Did you think no. long term? No, no. And, and, we, and we've been really guilty as a business and I suppose ultimately lies with me that I'm, I'm a very like in the moment kind of person. I'm not a planner. I'm not, a, you know, personality type wise. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not someone who sits and, and wants to draw out a business plan over the next five years and how we're going to achieve it and every all the little metrics we have to achieve to do. And and, and to be honest, to my own detriment, because, you know, I, I know that as these are the things I'm talking about going from 50 to 100 and actually kind of like trying to build a vision out for the business that people want to buy in long term rather than it just being, oh, well, this is fun. You know, this is cool and it's all happening and we're doing really well, which is kind of what what took us at, 
to where we got to maybe a couple of years ago. Um, but no, when, when we started in marketing, there was no there was no plan. There was nothing, you know, there was no metrics. There was no metrics for Chris. Um, you know, Chris is desperate for metrics because he wants to smash them. He wants to show, you know, us hit the return on investment on what he's doing and what now his team are doing for us as a business. And obviously, like, I want to give him the tools or we want to give him the tools to to allow him to, to show that because that is a real big thing for us as a business now to to continue the investment in it. And when I say investment, I don't mean financial investment. I mean commitment from consultants to say, right, you know, this is the, the value of working in this way. You know, if we can show that and case study that and actually show it right through to revenue, then we can kind of use that to, you know, how everything's changed now, you know, with the business, how it looks in the last year, which I'm sure we'll get onto, um, is is totally different to to what it was before, which was like, I've got good engagement. So if you've got good engagement on a post, that might start a couple of conversations, which might lead to a vacancy. And that's kind of all we thought about it is that I'm now speaking to a CEO that, you know, I've tried to contact for five years and he's just commented on my post. That's a mate, that's a win. And that's an ROI. Obviously we couldn't, it might not even go anywhere, but that's just, we just saw them as wins. But that the, the bit that I'm saying about the investor, Andy, is that like, they're the things you don't see at the start. And, you know, if you think to yourself, this social post has to make me money, you're fucked. Like yeah. it's just too short term. Yeah, Whereas totally. If you think, if I invest in these, like you do in recruitment, you think if I invest in this many calls, this many CVs out, this many vacancies every month for a year, I know it's going to get better and better. And yeah. content's the same. Like it, you do not know the, the value of the brand you're, you've even built yet because yeah. next year, you know, when this market bounces back and it gets even more buoyant, you know, the brand you've got, I'm confident, is going to have a, it's going to stand out against others. Yeah, that are treated for the last year. Totally, and 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 you know, we we know that. Like, we are really, really confident on that. You know, I know a lot of people. We saw a lot of marketing recruiters who were getting let go last year, and we and we weren't. We were we doubled down. We were like, we're not letting anyone go. And actually, we've just hired another, someone else in marketing who's joining us soon. And our content, the the, the volume of content that we created, like, went up. Yeah. Yeah. The amount of videos we moved into podcasts. We were doing videos anyway, but we're doing more of them now. Um, like podcasts is new for us. We've done webinars. Like we're really like doubling down on our marketing effort because, you know, we like you say when things do bounce back, like we we're gonna be so far ahead of. I don't like to look at it as competition because I'm not judging us against our competition, but I feel like we're ahead of a lot of our competition anyway, or a lot of our kind of like worthy rivals in in the business. Um, and we're already ahead of them anyway by maybe a couple of years, but now we're maybe 10 years ahead, you know, because then they'll be starting from scratch again, hiring those marketing people back again in April, May. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, it, this year and had a full year out of it and starting from scratch. Day, whereas... Every day people avoid this and just say, I oh, know I'm just going to keep doing what I've always done. The people like you, your teams that are investing, you're getting a bigger growth every day in terms of your followers, your your brand equity. Um, and I imagine you're still making the calls and doing the things you did anyway. It's not like you stopped doing that. You just totally. Right. totally and and you know nothing changes everyone is like you say the output from everyone is still the same um and that's that's been something probably really important to us over this journey is that we've seen a mark this marketing-led stuff which has grown beyond you know the the, the the demand for our consultants to get marketing and to get to get articles podcasts and done from our marketing team is, is like crazy at the moment but they all see it as i'm doing this in addition to what i'm doing you know, we've got the buy-in, really the buy-in from the ground up. And that's and that's obviously one of the other issues that I know a lot of rec um, business leaders will struggle with. Like we started a business with this sort of mindset. So actually building on that was really 
quite easy because everyone believed in where we were going and what we were doing. You know, if I said to today, right, we're hiring three people in marketing and I want, a, I want an article out of everybody or some form of like content from everybody in the business once a quarter, um, you know, I'd, I'd probably get, you know, told to, you know, to do one. And, and I'd get it because I would probably do the same if I was a recruiter. I'd be like, no, I ain't got time for that. Whereas like we've been built in and it's kind of been slowly ingrained in, in what we're doing. And actually everyone just sees it as a there is a big return on investment and, and a big kind of engagement piece in what we're doing. And, um, so, so the buy-in's there and it is in addition to the BD, in addition to, you know, everything else that, that kind of comes with it. So we've never sacrificed that. Um, so, so let's get to where we, we, we chatted a bit before, right? So you're sat in a beautiful office behind you right now. Um, it's, uh, it's a gorgeously kitted out space in Leeds with the scope to grow. Um, tell us the story. So going into COVID-19, you were about to walk into the yeah. new office, right? <laughs> yeah. So this is like a mega milestone for our business and, and, and a kind of a, almost like a reward for the staff for and the employees and everyone who's kind of, you know, we've been working to this office like forever. Um, we've had nice office. Our last office was really cool too, but you know, we grew outgrew that. And this was our big thing, our big move. Um, and we were supposed to move in in April last year. Um, and obviously we never made it. Like we, we so we, we left our last office um, when we went into lockdown on like what, 20th of March or whatever. And that was like, we've never been back to that office because the lease was running out the following month. Obviously, we didn't know that at the time. We were kind of like, you know, give it a few weeks and 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 maybe we'll come back and get all of our personal belongings and stuff. But it was it, you know, people had to go back in over at some point to get their stuff. Um and this was like the this is a mega milestone for our business. And it was it was taking us to that next level. Um, there was room for growth. Um and and it was like you know, it was the worst for at the time, it was like, what have we done? You know, obviously initially the financial outlay that we did for, had for this was was based on projections you know and us hitting a number this year and everything like that so firstly we were like you know we've just emptied our bank you know needlessly um on on kitting this place out at like a mega mega high spec um and you know and and not only that you know to, to as a kicker people are working from home now and nobody wants to go back into the office and it's everyone's talking about the death of the office and we've just signed up to a, a 10 year lease in an office that we've just spent the best part of half a million quid kitting out. Um, and it's, and it was supposed to be our hub and our base and our headquarters and everything for, for, like I said, for the next 10 years. So we were just like, you know, I mean, just to add another kind of stress on to what we were all going through last year was that this was going on in the background and we just didn't even know if, you know, what we were going to get out of it. How and did you cope with that? How did you just make the biggest mistake in ever? Um, it was really, it was really hard. Um, I mean, obviously at the time it was like, you know, you didn't know what to worry about the most or not to, you know, what to stress out about the most. And obviously sure. to be honest at the time, it was about just writing fees. Um, and it was about kind of getting through the period and saving costs and, and, and getting through that time. And I suppose that kind of took a lot of the emphasis away from this. This was like, I was, you know, this would have been at very best, a bit of security with a bit more money in the bank. Um, but you know, as as it worked out and as it's turned out, it 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 couldn't have gone any better because of for all those reasons that I just said, when we returned to the office in July, we returned to this place and we didn't return to our old office. And our old office, like I said, was pretty cool. 
but I know a lot of recruiters don't work in cool offices mm. um, and then returning in June, July time back to that office where they couldn't space out or they had to put, you know, screens between desks and stuff. We, we had the space and, and we had a place where people wanted to come back to and were like actually genuinely excited to come back to. So for, for one, the timing actually couldn't have worked out any better. Um, and, and for two, um, you know, it isn't the death of the office. I think it will change. Totally, it will change. And you see a lot of, lot of stuff out there about this. But, you know, I think there's an expectancy from in employees to get more from their office space that they're not willing to accept a shitty office space anymore where they're cramped in and sat, you know, all cramped into an office and they don't have the room to do anything. Um, this this area here where I'm sat is, is in our breakout space um, where we've got, you know, this is designed for people to pick up the laptop and come around and work in here like a cafe and it to kind of mimic like a work cafe style thing where, you know, there's music in here, but you can put your earphones in and you can just come and get some quiet right space around here. Um, so what, what it also has ended up happening is I think what we're going to have a massive, again, a major win is that it hasn't actually happened yet because when people are returning to the office or being asked to return to the office or, considering what office they want to return to, you know, we, again, have probably like gone far beyond like anything that maybe our competitors have um, at the moment. So um, in terms of an attraction strategy, you know, it was always part of an attraction strategy, but now it's a mega attraction strategy. It's also a mega retention, retention strategy because the thought of leaving this place and, and going to work in a smaller office not just small, but, you know, maybe just maybe yeah, yeah. A, a company that doesn't invest in the office space as much as we do. So we've kind of like what looked like a double loss, I think, and I hope, and I'm, I am touching wood, will end up being a double win for us. A final interruption to today's episode to introduce Vincere. Vincere is the all-in-one CRM ATS platform built for the recruitment and staffing industry. Now, I first heard about these guys about a year ago. The amount of prospect recruitment agencies and clients I was working with that were telling me they were moving over to Vincere, I had to look into it. And what I found was a business that had a global reach um, with multiple offices around the world. So they've got this follow the sun methodology, which allows them to support recruitment businesses wherever you are and, have, and, and be in your time zone. But the technology that they've invested in um, is becoming a, a disruptor in the space. More and more recruitment businesses are doing this to give their their recruiters a competitive advantage. They broke into the G2 Crowd's momentum grid as a market leader based on their reviews from their customers. So the, the agencies that are using this platform are raving about it. Now, if you're a rag listener and you're thinking about changing CRM or you're a new business looking to launch with a new CRM, then I would get in touch with, the, with these guys because if you mention that you're a rag listener, they're doing an amazing deal. By visiting www.vincere.io forward slash rag, you can get an exclusive deal which offers two months completely free on a two-year commitment or three months completely free on a three-year commitment. This applies to all licenses that you've either signed up for now or that you'll add in the duration of the contract. So get on there and have a look. Finally, if you're listening to your recruiter and you're thinking, I want to move into a more of a business development role um, and I'd like to keep hold of my recruitment knowledge. Well, these guys are recruiting for a BD person, well, multiple roles in both Sydney and London right now. So if you've got a strong recruitment background, you want to move into BD and you want to work for a fast moving tech business that's helping people like you right now, then get in touch via their website because they're hiring today. Back to the show. So how will you do it? Have you got the, is 70 people, is there enough space for them all to be socially distanced in there? Uh, so 
yes and no. We we we've got so so what we've done is so the senior principal consorts, senior consultants that are you know autonomous by nature in what they do. They've been working from home, or or they may already work from home, and that be the, the deal they've got with us as a principal consultant. Um, so we've kind of managed to shift out maybe ten or fifteen people in that sense, which has allowed us to literally go one in two diagonals. It's meant that we didn't have to put screens up. We've obviously take removed seats and desks. Well, not desks, but seats. And in this area here, we've taken like um, some of the seats out and stuff like that. So we can, yeah, we can. We can pretty much have a full complement in here, working comfortably um, in each other's, you know, in in teams, but not sat on top of each other. Yeah, I love it. It does. I mean, I've only seen on video from you, but it looks awesome, and it's. Uh, yeah. I can see why, especially like. I, I think I said this before we started the show. I, I really I said it in June last year, and I say it again. I think there's going to be two camps of people that there's going to be. Well, there potentially be three. There'll be the people that just want to be five days a week, the people that don't want to go, and the people that are on the blended model. But I actually think the blended model is leading towards the same as the office because if yeah. you want to go in a couple of days, you want to have an office to go to or some form of office. Um, like my business, we've adopted or we're going to adopt when the lockdown ends a, a global WeWork strategy because we've got people now in, in the US, in South Africa, in Australia, in the UK. Um, it's unrealistic to have one office. but And even in the UK, I'm now in Manchester. We've got a team in Birmingham, uh, the, you know, London. So WeWork allows us to have the same type of environment yeah, on a global scale, and then we can all meet in London for a day, and you know we don't have to worry about whether or not we've got space. So, I'm I'm so fucking excited for that. Yeah, like, I'm totally ready for that now. It's, it's becoming. Yeah. A, what, what what? How are you keeping the morale with your team as we're in this third lockdown? How, how are you keeping people feeling okay? Because it, it's a lot harder this time, I think, mentally than it was. Before. Yeah, I mean, I'm personally finding it harder this time. Um, you know, um, and I, and I've told the team so. I think. I think something that I personally learned um, in lockdown one is that there's, you know, being vulnerable um, personally. And, you know, if, you know, if we're concerned that the business is, is, you know, how we're going to get through this month and, you know, tell the business, this is how I feel. This is what we all feel like is that we're struggling. We're up against it. And, you know, this is what we need. I think this is what we need to do to get out of it. And so, so, the, but, but, you know, the rallying kind of that got us through the first, the first lockdown was was fine and then obviously the excitement starting to build to get back into this office we kind of got through that i think quite well second one was november obviously we were it was a four-week job wasn't it so it actually wasn't for us because up in leeds we always remained in a higher tier but it, it there was a start and end date and then obviously we actually brought everyone back into the office on the 4th of jan and then obviously went all home again on on the same day so but yeah it is harder i mean we, we as a business are, are a really like, so something that COVID has done for us is really made us realign on our values as a business and who we want to be and, and the type of business that we want to be and the way we want to work and the people we want working for us. And that runs right through the business. So so firstly, you know, we all want to work. I, th I think, you know, I hope someone's not watching this thinking, well, I don't want to, but um, I hope that everyone wants to be here and wants to work here. And, and there's like a real kind of togetherness about the business that hopefully has happened in a lot of, a lot of companies in times of crisis yeah um as a business we have a a real focus on mental health we're really reactive and something that we've been really good at and part of our retention and attraction strategy is we listen to what the team want and you know it was a, it was on a survey that we did maybe two or three years ago that actually 
um, well-being, mental well-being and emotional well-being ranked higher than commission on a, on a, on a survey we did, like for a great place to work or something. It came in number one. Yeah. And we were like, wow, like, wow, never, never expected that. Uh, and it's obviously the, the, the whole topic's picked up a lot of pace over the last few years. Yeah. So we've invested in it. And in the same way we invested in LinkedIn, the same way we invested in marketing is the same way we invested in mental health. And um, we hired a, a, a an external practitioner. We paid, one of our big initiatives was that we would say that like we paid for up to six private sessions with a, with a mental health practitioner. Um, thinking that no one would go for it. And and a lot did, and a lot did. I, I won't necessarily share numbers, but a lot in the business did. And and wow, it was like, wow, what an eye-opener that, that has been. And it cost the business quite a lot of money, but the reality is, is that there was issues in the business. There was a lot of potential mental health issues or emotional, but you know, little little things that you wouldn't normally talk about that we're now getting talked about. Yeah, That now means you're probably gonna stay working for us rather than leave us because it was getting too much for you. So, so, um, we had a real big push on mental health. Um, we've had the practitioner that we've been working with has been running wellbeing workshops and stuff like that, and just kind of helping people. And there's a, like an open twenty four seven hotline that that anyone can call. Um, so, so you know, we 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 we've done what we needed to do. Um, I think now everyone's the sense I'm getting is that everyone's getting really fed up and wanting to just kind of get back in the office. And you know, I no one wants that more than me. Um, so you like you said those two camps that you were talking about earlier. I think the majority of our camp is in you know we want to get back into the office. We want to see each other and work with each other again. And obviously you know we've got the space for them to do that as well. So but you know we've we've, we've done a lot of coaching on with managers over the last couple of years on looking out for signs of you know emotional well being and and if there's any stress or anxiety and talking about it and dealing with it and stuff like that. So we we really well. I think as well equipped as we can be for the situation. Yeah. Um, what's, so, the, what's still driving you, Andy? I mean, you've got a 10 million pound business revenue wise. You've got 70 people. You know, you've been doing this now for 15 years. You've got three kids. What, what, what's, why are you still so ambitious? Like, why do you want to get to a hundred? Why are you so excited about this office? Like, what is driving that? Um, oh, Good question. Um, I just, I mean, I, I firstly, like, I still really, really love, love coming to work. I love the company. I love the fact that we're really value based and value driven. Like we, we always had values, but now we like absolutely like live and breathe and live and die by the values of the business. Um, we see this way that we're working in this content led. And I know this is one of the topics that the main topics we're talking, we can see this going, really going somewhere mm -hmm. and really kind of revolutionizing, not just like, um, you know, not just what we're doing today, but actually, you know, starting something for the, the industry, not because of us, but just, we feel like we're on that track. You know, we, as a business, we're kind of very much infinite minded rather than finite. You know, we, we're here to like make an impression. We're here to keep going and to kind of really, you know, build strong relationships and, and, and to kind of embed ourselves in the community. And, you know, it's just exciting. I, I'm, I'm just still really excited. I love, I love kind of, you know, not necessarily building a team, but building the culture in the team. Um, what does the day look like for you? Because you've got it's hard. So, What's a normal day like? It's really hard. Like, I, and that's that was my biggest issue. That was probably my biggest stressor in April, May last year. Was that when actually like everyone went home, and I'm sure I hope a lot of other leaders who non-billion leaders were were thinking like this as well. But it's like, what what do I, what do I do? Like everyone's furloughed. 
half, half the company's furloughed or, you know, the proportion who couldn't work from home were those who weren't were just like totally focused on writing fees and wanting to get out of this. And, um, and I was like, you know, what, what am I doing? Like, who do I, who am I speaking to? I'm, I feel like I'm hassling people like calling up and stuff like that and just kind of checking in on people. Um, my, my role has been changed from kind of being a very, very hands-on man manager and actually like knowing everyone in the business and almost like seeing an issue or hearing something or I'd maybe hear somebody on the phone and go over and help, you know, because the office was small enough and that sort of kind of environment we had to now like, you know, there's people who sit behind me and I sit on the other side and, you know, I might go a week without even seeing them properly and other than just a bit of casual chat. So my, my, my role nowadays is all about um, just making this place like, um, like it, obviously this office took up a lot of my time when, when it was doing it. Um, when we're doing that, you know, we've, we've hired a people, um, a people, a head of people, someone who's going to like really take over the culture and, and drive that. So working with her quite a lot. Um, we're talking about kind of where we want to go and where we want to, what we want to achieve. We, we, one of the big things that came from COVID is we managed to hire someone who has come from a contract background. That's a big thing for us and kind of trying to attract talent for that. Um, but it is tough. And let's, you know, I think you get to a point when the company gets to this sort of size where it's like my roles changed so much the directors below me are managing their teams and you know you're trying to give them the autonomy to do that without interfering too much so you know i'm i'm as a you know candidly speaking i'm in a p position where i'm kind of trying to find exactly where my place is and yeah. how how much i can impact impact the business i do a lot of um communication to the team and i have done throughout lockdown which has built up a lot of my confidence like getting on camera and you know, filming myself doing like a, a wrap up, a, a monthly wrap up and, and stuff like that. So um, just, I suppose, keeping everyone engaged in the business. And that's probably partly why we have grown and we have been able to grow is that I'd like to think at any one point, you know, if anyone is thinking, I'm, you know, I'm not enjoying my job, I, I know about it and I'm, and I'm working on it with them. Everyone knows what their short midterm goals are because we've talked about it and, we, and you know, we're setting out a plan for them. Um, and that plan ultimately is is probably me stepping aside at some point, or me and one of the other directors stepping aside because that's what what we might have to do to encourage the directors to keep developing. Yeah, um, you're not so the bottleneck. The thing I like about you is you're not the bottleneck. Like you don't you don't you're not holding anything up. Everyone I'm moving. Else yeah, I'm I'm literally moving to my own to my own likes. It's not my sacrifice because it's not my you know the benefit of the business is my gain, but mm. I personally feel like. I'm moving aside to let someone else take my take that job that I used to love doing because it's going to engage them. And it's the best thing for me to do is just to kind of give that responsibility to do that. So I'm constantly trying to reinvent my role um, to allow others to take, you know, the tasks that, to be fair, like I don't need to be doing anymore and they want to do it. So that's that's the hard thing. And that's that's been made even harder being based at home. Because yeah. being in the office and kind of walking around and catching people and spotting solutions, spotting issues and then figuring out a solution and, you know, obviously a lot of meetings, and it kind of makes you feel like you're really busy when really when you're at home and everyone's working hard and I'm living, I'm having to like call someone to see, you know, if they're okay because, you know, they don't often come to me with problems. So it's, it's, it's been, that's exaggerated my, what I want to do and, you know, my, I think, what I'm trying to do now working with Tom Maskell, our, our director is like creating the vision for the business, which we do have a vision. 
And I think everyone, if you asked everyone independently what the vision is for the business, we'd all say something similar. But figuring out the vision for the business and then kind of like, you know, getting everybody on board with that and almost taking more of a chief vision officer type role of like getting everyone bought into what we're doing and really driving for that as a business rather than doing the, you know, more of the day-to-day -day tasks. I love it. I love it. And I think there's so many other people listening that, that were that are looking up to you now and thinking that's kind of, that's my, I'm thinking the same thing, right? I think in Hoxo a lot of the time, I'm the bottleneck. A lot of the, yeah. Yeah. you know, I started it with my business partner off of my own ideas. And so now we've got 24 people and clients around the world. I'm starting to step away from a lot of things I had to do. And it's, it's incredible really. And, you know, I'm learning from you in these conversations. Yeah. What, where I do mean, you get learning from? Do you have someone you have as a mentor to you? Or? I, I, I didn't until until last year, and I do have a mentor now, and someone I talk to, and and it's and it's really, really, really opened my eyes out to a lot, and it's just totally changed the way I think I think about business. And you know, when we went into lockdown, it was I was scrambling around again, like most others, scrambling around thinking like, how can I add value? Like, what, everyone's writing fees or trying to write fees, except me, or except me and maybe one or two others. Like, I need to write fees because that's the only way out of this. And obviously that wasn't the way out of it. The way out of it was to support others to do their job. You know, I, it's not my job to write fees anymore. I haven't done it for, you know, eight years. So it's just not my job anyway. So, you know, it's a, to give the support to the people to make sure that they are, you know, able to do that. And rather than focusing on, oh shit, what if we only hit this number this month, we're going to lose money. So what? Like focus on the process, make sure the process is quality, make sure nothing drops out needlessly, make sure, you know, we're building strong relationships. And, and you know, if we write a, a fraction of what we're supposed to, well, what we would normally write, then then that's 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 what it will be. Like that is actually genuinely what we can't, I can't change that. No. So we kind of really stopped. I at that point took away the overall company target and I, have, I still haven't reintroduced that. I don't know what our company target is. The divisions have, and the person has, I'm sure the individual knows what they're working towards, but I don't know if this is a good period or a bad in terms of have we hit target or not. I, what I know is that the number we hit at the end of the month is the best it could be and, and kind of driving it that way and really focusing on achieving the best we can. And you said so you that, had a record, was it a record quarter in Q4? We had a record Q4 last year. So November was our biggest ever month by not, not by, you know, it'll buy some distance, um, buy a couple of hundred grand. Um, and then December, which is traditionally a slower period for us, was our second biggest month ever. Wow. Um, so we finished the year on an absolute massive high. Um, and that was, I'm not saying that was because we changed the way we looked at it, but, you know, we were doing, we were focusing on process, we're focusing on input, we're focusing on doing everything right. And ultimately, um, you know, we are getting results from it. Um, but yes, I do have a, I do have a mentor and he has um, really helped me with that. Um, I, I've literally another win from COVID is that I've, I'm reading books because I want to, I want to kind of like figure out where I'm going and where we're going as a business. And I'm like reading two books a month at the moment or listening on audible a lot of like, not just business books as in like how to, but you know, stories about startups, stories about, you know, successful businesses and successful leaders and just trying to kind of like pull you know good stuff from that and i've just finished the infinite leader by simon sinek which is why you know we were talking yeah. i mentioned infinite earlier because it's it is very much in the way we want to work is that you know we're not looking to win we're not looking to to you know say that we're the best company ever we're not but 
our vision is to be embedded in our markets, is to have amazing relationships, is to co collaborate with our clients, it's to um, it's to kind of add a lot more value than just being a recruitment partner. Um, and that's the way that we're going as a business. So, and also the intimidating thing is, is that like the way we're going in the business at the moment is not, you know, it's Chris is driving a lot of this marketing stuff. It's not my forte. I've never had amazing engagement from content that I've written. I actually don't know where my voice is. I struggle with my voice a little bit of, I see everybody in the business has got this voice where they're driving engagement and they're, and they're creating discussions and they're getting on video and, yeah. um and being really brave with it and i'm probably the one in the business who's like i don't know what to write i don't know who my audience is i don't know like what i'm getting from this so actually the business is almost like overtaking maybe you don't need me they, you're providing the platform for that to happen you got to remember you've you've created that vehicle that most companies i look at have someone at the top like me who's shouting from the rooftops from the start and if that's how you start the business like for me when i see hoxo getting bigger my role will get less and less and less about the detail but my voice will stay in the market i, th I i've got that plan yeah um, but i will also bring through the voices of the people below whereas you never needed to have that you just started with the, the people who started the voices were the employees so it would be yeah. a bit it's a strange way around now for you to suddenly start jumping on top i would have yeah. a yeah. different type of strategy if i was you yeah and and I, and I kind of know where I need to go with it, um, but it's you know it's this, it's getting the courage to do it. Like, you know, I was nervous about coming on and doing this today, um, because it's it. I've I've not brought been brought up in a recruitment world where you know I'm, I'm jumping on camera to, to to let everyone know what I'm, I've done this week or what's been going on. Whereas obviously the consultants are doing that. So, um, but yeah, I mean it's just kind of yeah, I, I it's just kind of figuring out. I feel like there's a big win for me to be more engaged and not necessarily engaged, but more vocal um, in some way. And, and that's what I just need to be kind of like brave enough to, to go and get. You will, you will. And uh, I'm happy to help if you ever need any advice. Yeah, on definitely. Um, Andy, <laughs> I just want to say thanks. You've been, um, you, you're incredibly humble for someone who's done so much for the, the age you are, um, the, the, the team you've built, the, the numbers you've, you've wrote, the, culture you've got the office you've got i mean it's just i i think anyone who's not seen it go and look at charlton morris website i mean you'll you'll be pretty impressed it's completely different to 99 percent of recruitment websites i've seen it doesn't even feel like a <laughs> like a it's literally like like a news yeah a news and that and that was a remit that was the remit we wanted to go for an editorial website yeah. um and and then digital based in manchester totally delivered that for us and yeah. and you know we didn't use our old website even though we had a load of jobs on there that were out of date, we didn't use it. So um, this now we have a, a place where a lot of our LinkedIn engagement is now actually happening in our own space that we can actually track and monitor and take advantage of. So I know we haven't got into that, have we? No. <laughs> but yeah. look, Andy, absolute pleasure, mate. And uh, if anyone's listening and thinks, you know what, I need to reach out and have a quick chat with that guy, are you open to a, a quick conversation yeah. with the, the recruiters? Yeah, of and course. Holding? Yeah, yeah, of course. No is worries. LinkedIn the best place to get you? That's how I got older, wasn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. So DM on LinkedIn oh. to Andy, um, and that will um, will be will be welcome. And uh, guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Rag Podcast. Um, coming every Wednesday live on LinkedIn at one thirty. Then released the following morning, Thursday mornings, on the uh, on the podcast live store. Um, 
as you know, I'm bringing you stories this year of, of, of businesses that are doing great things, modern, innovative things. We're not necessarily obsessing with the past and how businesses used to scale. I'm thinking about the future and, you know, LinkedIn, websites, content, marketing, technology. There's so many things to talk about that the best businesses like yours, Andy, are doing really, really well. So, um, you know, if you know someone who will benefit from listening to Andy's message, please get out and share it. Drop him a message. Put it on your LinkedIn. Make sure there's more people listening because together, we, you know, we, we we can all compete at a desk level, but together, this the, the ideas will make the industry stronger. That's what that's what I'm I'm excited about. Um, finally, those of you that have 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 not seen my LinkedIn in the last week may not know that I am running a program called Pro Project 500 right now, which is um, in response to the, the the horrific news that over 1.4 million children in the UK right now do not have access to a laptop or a device when they're homeschooling. Um, me and two of my customers, uh, Red Holt, CEO, well, managing partner, Chris Redmond and the CEO of Simply Commerce, Tim Rodel, got together and said, you know what, we need to do something about this. So we've got a technology supplier who is for £160, um, we're able to get a brand new Asus laptop with Windows 10 and Google Classroom sent to a school, um, which will be distributed to a child that doesn't have access. Um, we've raised in the first week, or oh, less than a week, we launched last Friday, it's now Wednesday, we've raised £27,000, um, which is incredible. So we've worked that out. Six laptops are £1,000 times that. So we're 150 laptops or so at the moment, which is just amazing. But we want to get to 500 so we need to get eighty thousand pounds raised so if you guys listening can please spare even if it's enough to buy one laptop if you're a recruitment owner recruiter um is it really going to affect you to share 150 160 good or even a thousand pounds but it's going to change the lives of the future talent that we all so so desperately will rely on if you need to go to project 500 at hoxomedia.com to find out more and you can just donate on that page um i will be live on Friday on LinkedIn on Hoxham Media's page at 11 a.m. I'm an ex-school teacher and the deputy head of the school I used to work at in Sheffield is joining me on the rag on Friday and we're going to talk about he's probably going to tell you some stories about me as a teacher when I uh, when I had a little bit of gray hair not as bad as it is now but we're also going to find out about the reality of what it's like working in these conditions in schools and how your donations are going to impact the children in that area specifically so Join us Friday, and we're back again Wednesday with another recruitment owner for more of the RAG podcast. In the meantime, you stay safe, and I'll see you soon. This podcast is brought to you by Hoxo Media. We are the world's number one inbound marketing agency exclusively focused on helping the recruitment industry. Myself and my business partner started the business in 2017, having been recruiters for seven years before. We felt that the recruitment industry back then needed to change and that marketing was going to play a huge role in the way that new and existing recruitment organizations won business and stood out in such a crowded marketplace. In three years, we've now worked with over 200 organizations around the world. We reach a huge audience with both this podcast and content online, and we have over 55 recruitment agencies right now. We're managing the marketing force. That involves strategy, content creation, distribution, systems process, and leads generated. Having been recruiters and marketeers, we can not only build your brand, but we're also able to connect it to your sales team and ensure that leads are generated as a result of marketing. There's a clear ROI that leads to sales activity. 
But we also understand recruitment businesses. That's small businesses, medium-sized businesses, large businesses in all sectors. We understand you, we've done the job, and we can build campaigns that are super relevant to what you need as a business right now. We've also recently launched the Hoxo Academy, which is designed to help recruitment owners, recruiters, and marketeers learn from the work that we do so that you can action some of this stuff in-house on your own. The Academy has been launched in May 2020 and has already had an amazing uh, response from the market and it's only going to grow one way. So if you're interested in either having Hoxo support, you build your marketing as a, as a supplier that acts as part of your team or you want to be trained by us on how to do it yourself, then get in touch. Visit www.hoxomedia.com and register your interest on our homepage. We will then get back to you within 24 hours and arrange uh, an introductory call. Thanks again for listening to this show. Every single one of you means so much and we will see you again soon.